All right. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Startup from Scratch. Uh, today, we have a really exciting episode with Avi Press. Uh, we're going to talk about interpreting pain. Uh, what does that even mean uh, when, when it comes to a startup or a company? Uh, I'm going to hand it off to Kennedy to tell you guys a little bit more about that. Uh, Avi, we're so excited to have you, and we've got a lot of questions for you in store. Thanks. Excited yeah. to be here. Welcome, welcome. So yeah, I usually think of interpreting pain as uh, when you launch a product, it doesn't usually take off like right away because most products need to be changed a little bit to find their mass appeal. Um, but you only know that by launching and seeing how people respond, right? It's like we talked about with Madeline. Um, how do you know that your product produces delight in people? You have to test it. So you, you've launched it and then it doesn't quite take off right away. Then what? How do you interpret that pain both in a way that helps you to build a better product, but also how do you as a founder that's poured yourself into this project, how do you not feel really discouraged by the, the lack of that, like grab onto it? Uh, I don't know. What do you think about uh, with interpreting pain, Myrna? I mean, it's it's definitely a very case-by-case uh, -case basis, which is why I'm so excited to talk to Evie because I think in some cases it's like, you know, um, this is maybe not the best thing to be starting, whether it's like not the right time, not the right product. Uh, but in a lot of other cases, sometimes interpreting pain means maybe you're just not talking to the right people and you haven't found like the right niche group that really needs your product. Um, so it's definitely a very, um, interesting space. There's a lot that goes into it. That's also really emotional because for, for founders, you know, we're, we're always really attached to, to what we're, what we're building and we want to see it succeed the first time around, but it's a reality that a lot of the time your, your beta is, is not a huge success and, and you need to interpret that pain and, and, and launch again. So, uh, I'm really excited to see Avi's perspective on this and how he's been navigating this space. Totally. So without further ado, uh, Avi is the thought engine behind Scarf. And Scarf is a tool that helps open developers to get paid. And I'm going to let Avi introduce himself and tell us a little bit more about what all this means. Um, yeah, okay, great. Well, thank you. Um, yeah, so my name is Avi Press, um, the founder of Scarf. And uh, yeah, like Kennedy said, we help open source software developers uh, get paid from the companies that are already using their work. Um, we help them with uh, having analytics in their software so they can see like who their commercial users are, how they, how their software is being used um, so they can deliver better software and be better informed about it. Um, and this really all came from struggles that I myself was having with my own open source uh, developer tools that I had been writing that uh, people at other companies were using. And um, yeah, it was just a challenge to support the companies that were relying on my work while still making that uh, you know, sustainable for myself while I also had, you know, a job of my own and just a full another life outside of my, you know, hobby projects that became big enough that companies were relying on them. That's yeah. awesome. So what, can you uh, kind of explain maybe for people that aren't so much in the developer world, what, what is an open source developer and how is that different from a non-open source developer? Yeah. Um, so open source uh, basically just means that the the source code of a particular piece of software is open and anyone can look at it, anyone can download it, 
you know, run it on their on their computer. Um, it's all, you know, uh, the word free is a very contentious word in this space because it can mean a lot of different things. But basically, it just means that, you know, anyone can go read the code and they can, you know, make changes to it. And there's kind of a community around that software that, you know, it's not just something that a company sells and people buy, but it, it's this open thing. Um, and so, you know, there's big communities on websites like GitHub where anyone can publish their code and anyone can look at them and, you know, comment about issues they might encounter, um, request features and all that stuff. And it uh, turns out that most companies in the world rely on a lot of this open source software. Um, but the people who build that software, uh, you know, when they're when their work becomes relied on more and more and companies expect more and more of it, um, the problem that we're seeing is that there's not good business models so that the people who build uh, this stuff can actually get paid for the work that they're doing. So why why do, um, I'm not a software developer, so um, mm -hmm. I, I, I don't know the answer to this question. It's not as obvious to me, but why as a software developer would you want to invest in open source code if you know there's there's kind of no return on an investment uh, or a clear path to, you know, a return on investment for your work? Yeah, this, this is something that you'll get different answers depending on who you talk to, but the I think one of the common things here is that there's just a very collaborative, um, you know, a collaborative feel to this kind of thing where, you know, in my case, like I was building tools, uh, you know, for myself that were kind of making it easier to do my job. And then I just decided like, oh, well, if I'm getting use out of this, like maybe other people will too. So I, you know, put it on GitHub, anyone can start downloading it. Um, and, you know, then you can kind of people from all around the world might look at it and say like, oh, like maybe this would make it better or here's some code that, you know, adds this feature. And uh, that kind of collaborative environment is really awesome and amazing. And that's what got, uh, you know, that's what got me hooked on on the open source uh, community and that, that, that vision and model. Um, so for a lot of people, it doesn't really start out as like a, oh yeah, I want to build this thing and make a lot of money. It's just hey, I built this thing and I think it's useful and maybe other people might find it useful and maybe other people might make it better. Um, but it turns into something that uh, what, what people start to think about money when, you know, for me, like suddenly, you know, someone at a big company says, hey, we're using this and it's broken in this kind of way. And suddenly I'm spending my entire weekend just like fixing a bug or something in a piece of free software. Um, so that's yeah, that's kind of totally. where that, that trade-off happens. So so it's something that definitely evolves uh, over the course of a project and over just the course of like, you know, the software ecosystem. What open source was in, you know, in the 80s is not really the same as, as it is today. That's so really cool. Yeah, that's super cool. I, I think one of the things that's so interesting is that there's, there's sort of this um, attitude about it of, I'm going to build this, it helped me, so I'm just going to release it into the wild and maybe it'll help other people too. And then there's an opportunity for it to grow into something more. Um, I'm curious, especially in that very um, more, more amorphous approach of let's see if it helps other people, what is this? what feedback can you look to to see that you should be spending more time on this open source project because it might become monetizable in the future? Or uh, at what point do you say that you need to change this, this open source project and dedicate time to that so that more people will be able to use it? How, how do you approach that feedback mechanism when it comes from a relatively altruistic place? Yeah. Uh, so a lot of times that 
a lot of times that people you know will release a project open source it's often to scratch their own itch um and as a result a lot of times you're a lot you're not necessarily concerned with like you know do i have a notion of product market fit or anything like that which you know we currently think about when we talk about startups um but you know even then there still is a good amount of feedback that you will get, say on GitHub, um, there's there's a notion. So GitHub, a place where you know people host, host, download, and discuss and collaborate on code. Um, and one of the features that GitHub will have is the notion of issues, and people can basically like open up bug reports and talk about problems that they're having. Um, they can request features or you know just open discussion, and you know that's kind of the place where like the de facto open source community is discussing any given piece of software. And that's really kind of the, the grounds for where this kind of feedback happens when you are building a new piece of software or a product or anything else. Um, and that has some problems in the sense that only the people who are complaining the loudest at a, on a particular project are you know going to have their issue addressed. Um, at the very beginning, that's not really a problem because it's like great that anyone is reaching out to you, giving you feedback on your software. Um, but as your project grows, y- you you're still kind of only getting that that you know that top say like you know five percent of people that experience some problem that actually care enough about it to reach out to you about it. Mm-hmm. Um, otherwise, it really just requires a lot of like really going out there and talking to people who you think might be using it, like you know maybe you know, what I've done before, I've like searched on Twitter for people sharing links of my projects and seeing what people are saying about it or things like that. Um, or just talking to the people who I happen to know might be using it from, you know, in my life or something. But otherwise, in this space, particularly, it's, it's especially hard to get that feedback, because you're not doing, you know, you're not getting your users emails, you're not you know, you're generally not having them sign up. It's not an application. It's just a piece of software that, that people download and use. Uh, in general. Yeah. With exceptions. So this brings up a really um, interesting kind of segue into into what you're building. Um, so at what point did you realize that this was, you know, a, a huge missed opportunity for developers? And uh, when did you decide to start um, Scarf? And maybe tell us a little bit more about what you're currently building. Yeah. And the, the story behind this definitely will tie back into kind of the, the overall theme uh, for this episode today of, of interpreting pain. Because um, so at a previous startup uh, job that I had, I was at a, a, a very small company. It was, you know, a four or five person company while I was there. Um, but we were working on a fairly complex system, like a, a technically complex system. Um, so I was building a lot of developer tools just like for myself and for for my team and my spare time just to make our day-to-day jobs easier. And, you know, over time, the company starts relying on my tools heavily enough that, you know, I decided to, you know, open source them to see if other people would also get some use out of them. And people did. And, you know, at first that's like, you know, amazing. Like, oh man, my side projects are taking off. That's super cool. People are using them, getting contributions from like people all over the world. And that's awesome. Um, That's awesome. you know, fast forward a little bit to when, you know, there's a, you know, a bug will pop up and there's some issue with my code and, you know, my coworkers are bugging me about it and I need to fix that on my own time. Um, Because, you know, at the end of the day, this is, this is my side project. Um, And, you know, 
people would be reaching out on GitHub who were clearly at big companies saying like, hey, this thing is broken and it's like getting in our way and in, you know, in these sorts of ways, like, please fix them. And, you know, at that point, when you have this like publicly facing project with my name on them that people are complaining about, <laughs> um, I quickly, you know, want to fix them. And so this uh, this is kind of where I was starting to get into this, this like aspect of like, oh man, this is actually becoming more of a, a challenge and a burden than I expected. Like the fun is wearing off and all I'm left is with this kind of like responsibility um, mm. and kind of no, uh, no real concrete ROI for that other than just like, you know, feeling good about the fact that people at other companies are using my work. And, you know, if they're at big companies, that's less of a warm and fuzzy thing and more of like, oh, that's cool. But also, oh man, that's quite a responsibility to be having. Um, And so over time when I'm spending more and more of my free time maintaining the software that I'm, you know, less and less directly benefiting from, it then, you know, got me thinking about like, okay, maybe uh, there's an opportunity to actually just get paid for some of this work that I'm doing and some of this value that I'm providing to you know, both my employer and, you know, these other companies that, you know, are, are pinging me on GitHub about this stuff. Um, and so the question then became, well, how do I do that? And this is a really weird space to try to make money because I've already given away the product for free. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so it's, you know, and this is why, you know, in this space, open source is open source and making money typically do not mix. Uh, you know, for a lot of, you know, for this very obvious reason, it's kind of like you, <laughs> you, you have a store, you know, a physical store and you put all your products outside of the store and you close your eyes and people all take your product. And then you want to say like, okay, someone took these products. Maybe I'll go try to find them and see if they want to pay me. Yeah. It's a terrible business model. We um, get some really great analogies on this podcast. That's all I'm going to say. That was great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so that model, if you're trying to make money on that work, doesn't that's kind of broken. But as as time goes on and more and more of these companies start to rely on this on on you know software that's maintained or built by like one or two or just a couple of people, it's becoming more and more of an issue. And it definitely was for me, where I'm like, you know, trying to maybe like recoup some of this time that I'm spending, like you know, for a big company. Um, and I tried to see, like, you know, I tried taking donations at, like, at first, like, okay, well, like, maybe people will just donate money and, like, I'll just mm. hope for the best. Um, I tried that, but, like, nothing really happened because, like, I don't have, you know, thousands and thousands of followers on Twitter or, like, really any, like, huge audience where I could just say, like, hey, please pay me um, and just expect that people would. That's just not what happened. Mm -hmm. Um, So I tried other things like, okay, maybe I'll add premium features and then set up an online store for this, um, you know, for this developer tool and people can download it and maybe they'll like run into, you know, they'll want the premium features and then they'll buy them. And then I can have my code, like know who the user is and like add those features and do all that stuff. And it sounds like a lot because it is, it's like all the things that go into building a SaaS company, but like, that's not really what I was doing. I was just trying to take my developer tool and have it be something that an enterprise that was really relying on it could actually pay me for, um, you know, the support or the features or kind of whatever that was going to be. Um, but I didn't really have any of the tools to actually, A, make that happen, or B, have the data analytics to know if that was a good idea. Because, like, I didn't know, well, how often are are they using this? Like, what features are they relying on? All this stuff. All I had was the feedback that I was getting from people who were complaining about it, you know? Um, 
So there was definitely that data analytics problem of like, should should I even go through this effort of trying to make money on the software? Um, and then once I decided that, how would I actually do that? Like, what were the tools in place? And something as like low level as like a Stripe, where you know you can like write your Stripe integration and take payments directly, was like not really what I wanted to be messing with. But I did, and it was a lot of work. <laughs> um, so that's kind of how <laughs> Scarf was Scarf was born to like solve these both problems of like how is my software being used and by who, and then okay. I know the companies that are using them, like how do I actually get them to pay me for what I'm providing them? Um, and then I quickly got to work on Scarf and just started iterating and trying things out and talking to people and, um, you know, fast forward a year and a half and now it's a team of three and we are fundraising. So, Amazing. Um, yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. So I'm curious, I, I know that for every founder that I talk to, we all run into this moment where you run it, you finally run into like that problem where it's like, you know, you're going to find a way through it, but you really have no clue where you're going to start on it and how you're going to get through that moment. Uh, I'm curious if you've hit that moment and if you'd be willing to share that with us. Yeah. Um, So that moment for me with like starting Scarf was that I had done a ton of work um, to have an online store for a particular developer tool that I had. Um, you know, take a payment, add premium features, do all this stuff, which I didn't even know if it was a good idea. And then once I launched it, nothing happened. I made zero sales. <laughs> like, like it was, I wasn't like super surprised, but I was still like so disappointed that like I didn't even make one sale of this piece of software with this strategy. Um, and so what I decided to do was just write about what I went through and like how hard that was to just like put in all that effort not really knowing how it would pan out and then having it be like the worst possible outcome of like nothing happened no one even like <laughs> no, there was it wasn't even like a whiff of of that uh being successful um so i wrote a blog post that was basically just like here's what i think the issues are here like for from someone in my position of like having an open source project that like should in theory be something that is monetizable even a little bit but just completely failing at it um, and writing about it was actually a really good idea because I learned that other people had had these problems too. Um, and while you know there were definitely a lot of differing opinions on like what exactly I did wrong there, um, and, you know we could we could probably talk about that for hours. <laughs> um, but um, just hearing the fact that other people were also dealing with this pain point, not even suggesting a solution to it, but just like saying here are what I think are the problems that I faced. Um, was really helpful because just like, yeah, ju- just um, kind of getting a pulse on, I'm having this difficulty. Do other people have this difficulty too? Okay, great. Maybe I'll start to like actually go forward and thinking about how we can solve it. Um, yeah. So that, that I think was a really key moment for me, like seeing this blog post, like kind of take off and hearing, hearing stories from people who were in similar positions and, and that my difficulties resonated with people was, was a really key thing there. So I think that like, if you're feeling pain about something, if you can share it with others, you should. Um, it's, I mean, it, you know, 
it definitely makes your makes readers often feel better that like they're not the only ones that are feeling that pain and then it makes you feel better because like you are kind of, you can be validated in that pain that you have and then kind of move forward and figure out what to do about it mm-hmm. um and can just give you more perspectives about maybe the pain that you were feeling is not about what you thought it was or maybe it is yeah absolutely yeah. Um, so you said you've been working on Scarf for about a year and a half now. Um, in your journey kind of working on this startup, what are what are some pain points that you faced and uh, how have you kind of pivoted or overcome those? Yeah. Um, so this entire process has been very like exploratory, like people agree on the problem, but people don't seem to agree on what the solution is. So from the outset, this was like, all right, we're going to try a bunch of things and just see what works and what doesn't. We're going to talk to talk to everyone we can talk to and just iterate and iterate and try things. Um, so the first thing that I tried was something that was very ambitious and very, you know, controversial and very just hard, which is that I built um, what's known as a package manager and what that uh, what that means for a software developer is like a program that kind of can manage all of your software dependencies as you are coding um, and it, uh, just a tool to, to, to manage your software dependencies. Um, and, you know, without getting into the technical details of that too much, um, basically like I built the prototype of a very challenging thing to build and then tried to get people to adopt it. And the idea was that like this, this, package manager kind of had a lot of the analytics and monetization tools built into it so people could like sell their work to the people who wanted to download it and like you know maybe get support for it or other things like that Um, but basically as soon as I tried launching this product um, you know there was some interest but overall not very much Um, and not only was there not interest but some people because there's I'm like introducing analytics into a space that didn't have have it before um, was met with you know quite a bit of hostility from some from some of the folks that are you know particularly privacy concerned um, you know which is obviously a, a very important thing to be concerned about and we were trying to do those kinds of analytics responsibly but like still not everyone agrees with with the approach and the practicalities of it um, so mm-hmm. both having the combination of like that first product being something that was really hard to get people to actually adopt and use and people saying like not only do i not want to use this this is a terrible idea and i hope that you fail um oh and like that was real like i mean uh, you know sometimes people said it in nicer ways than that but oftentimes they didn't um and like <laughs> uh, i think wow. anyone who's tried to sell something for the first time and like you get those first no's and it's like gutting to hear that like no i don't want to use that thing that you're building it's just like oh my god like you you know you're rejecting this thing that is now really wrapped up in my personal identity and like you know that was a huge um a huge adjustment for me you know going from engineer to like you know startup founder um yeah and it was you know it like even though i knew going in that like i was going to have these problems like i knew that this was going to be a controversial thing and i knew that it was going to be difficult for even someone who wanted to use it to just like get up and running with it it was like kind of a big investment from the user um so it was really, really, it was, it was just very challenging to like get those no's, but like keep pushing forward and trying to iterate on it and change the product and see what I could do to make it better. Um, and yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, it was 
definitely a test of like how hard I could push through that. And like also, you know, working through the like personal anxiety of like, maybe I'm just not on the right track here. And like, there's no way to actually know if you're, um, with a product that like you are expecting to have to be, you know, a challenging launch, um, you know, differentiating between like, yeah, no, I'm actually headed down the wrong path versus like I'm headed down the right path. I just need to keep going. Um, Not, not trivial to do, but like uh, definitely something that I think, yeah, uh, we can, you know, keep talking about. There's a lot more to unpack there, I think, but that was kind of the, the initial, the initial issues that we were having with Scarf Um, and kind of the, the key thing for how we, continued was just being very open to even completely different solutions like i was willing to fully scrap that initial product and at this point we mostly have um you know the thing that like i'm currently um you know on the scarf website for instance is not this package manager product there's been other products that we've built since then and i was kind of open to that the whole time so being i think you know there uh, something that is becoming more and more common in the in you know, in, in this ecosystem is like the, you know, uh, strong opinions loosely held kind of thing of like, yeah, I have a lot of conviction on this, but I'm very open to being persuaded otherwise. And that was kind of how I went into this, which did help um, kind of interpreting the, um, you know, the feedback that I was getting of like, yeah, you know, people may agree with the overall mission of what I'm doing, but the that first solution that I had was not the right one. Um, and just being open to that, like, you're often not going to get the right thing right out of the gate. Um, but if if the feedback that you're getting, you know, is indicating that, you know, you could be on the right thing, you know, if tweaks were made or like, you know, whatever that might be, um, you know, pushing forward was cl- the, the clear answer. And that's why we are still doing it. And um, yeah. I think there's two like super insightful things that I've learned from listening to you so far. And um, uh one of them is the importance of being very open to alternate solutions, right? So as you just said, strong convictions loosely held. Um, so that idea that you you believe in the power of what you're doing, but other people might say, yeah, but you have to implement it differently. I think that's really awesome. The other thing that you mentioned doing that I think is really powerful is that when you launched your store and didn't sell anything, one of the hardest types of pain to interpret is is when there's just no response at all because you have no no way to know how to move forward. And at that moment, you actually created a way to get an alternative way to get user feedback, right? The users weren't engaging with you for you to get feedback through the store. So you found another way to get their opinions by telling them about your problem and hearing how that resonated with them. Um, so I think that those are two really powerful things is one, like keeping kind of a, this open perspective of where things can go. Um, and then being very creative and very persistent to finding additional ways to get information about how people view what you're building. Yeah, the per- the persistence aspect to this has been really key. That, that just like, even if you feel very strongly about the idea and you are convinced that you have the right solution, it's just like not going to go well all the time. And like, just making sure that you fully, fully push through that is super important. Um, but this actually makes me think of um, kind of another experience that I had with a previous startup that that um, I tried and failed, which had also like very similar or 
not similar in the sense of like the exact difficulties that we experienced, but like um, encountered a lot of problems on the way. And it was a product that I didn't personally care as much about. Um, we were building tools to like to help sales people or specifically like sales de- development reps where like they're doing a lot of cold emailing. We were building a tool that would just help those salespeople like get just scrape data about their leads so that we could, they could like send more personalized emails. And it was like a tool that we were, you know, we were partnering with a, a sales team at Google and building this thing out. And we encountered a lot of technical problems and, it, you know, those technical problems got harder and harder. But at the end of the day, like it wasn't a problem that I cared as much about. And so when we hit those roadblocks, like that feeling of just being burnt out on it came so much faster. Um, And now with Scarf, when I hit these problems that are, I think, you know, almost objectively even harder than the ones that I experienced in the, in the previous, uh, in the previous company, um, I'm much more willing to push through them because I really care about the open source software community. And these are problems that I personally had and I like am very motivated to fix them. Um, and having that personal connection to the problem that I was solving is really, has been kind of the key difference. Like, I think that the previous, that, that previous sales, you know, web scraping tool is something that we just as easily could have like totally stuck with and worked through and like figured out all of our technical problems and made it work. Um, but kind of the personal passion is really what is kind of you know making scarf stick around, like despite how how challenging of a problem we're tackling. Um, so I think that you know when when anyone is is you know trying to work through a startup idea or you know figuring out if it's something that they whether they want to start or whether it's something they want to keep doing, um, having that personal passion to the problem is like really really crucial. Um, I think it would be very challenging to to go through a lot of the problems that you're likely to have if it's not something that you truly care about, with exceptions, of course, to everything. But um, just kind of a general opinion that I now have about this go- going through two different companies that had problems. Yeah, totally. I have a very similar uh, feeling about that. I, I tend to refer to it as founder passion fit. And I think there's a lot of analogies to founder passion fit and product market fit. And I don't think that you can successfully build a startup without both. Yeah, definitely. So I wanted to ask you, Avi, about um, if you had any more advice for people who are going through kind of, you know, similar phase, you're building something, it's a really complex problem. You've identified that this is a problem that other people have. And um, there's a huge missed opportunity for people who are, you know, putting in so much work into something and not, you know, getting, uh, you know, rightfully paid for the time that they're uh, putting into that. Uh, you've talked about, you know, that passion. You've talked about, you know, finding other ways to kind of reach out to people, even if you put something out there and, and it doesn't sell. Um, what are some other ways that you would encourage people to to explore when they're interpreting pain? You know, like you could be really passionate about something. Um, you could have strong convin- convictions that are loosely held, uh, but things could kind of still not move forward. And um, what what have you done uh, and what advice do you have for, for founders when it comes to that? Yeah, I, I think two things that I would say. I think one is that, um, you know, if you if you're launching something that 
you know, may not be going as well as you had hoped it would be. Um, one thing to focus on, whether you're like evaluating how to go about it, is like understanding if you are learning things that you that if you are learning things that A, are interesting to you and B, are like moving you forward in some way. Like if you feel like, yeah, I may not be making progress in like launching this product, but I have learned all of these things from talking to users and I feel like that like that new knowledge enables me to do X, Y, and Z. Um, you know, this whole time that, you know, we've been, you know, working on different products with Scarf, like I've been talking to tons of developers and learning so much in way... It, about things that are, you know, really important to me. And so that enabled me to feel like I was making progress, even though if like the metrics that I would show someone were not looking any better. So it like, I had that feeling of making progress and feeling closer to finding the solution. Um, so I think that focusing on like what you're learning, I think is very key. Um, another thing which, um, I would, <laughs> I know we're running low on time, but wish that I had mentioned this earlier. Um, I think that you know, on the founder journey, like, especially in, in these tough, tough uh, scenarios, like you're likely to, you know, be going through a lot of like, I mean, for me, like I was dealing with a lot of anxiety about it, like just personally, um, you know, and at a certain, like, am I doing the right thing? Like, is this actually going to work out? Should I just give up now? Um, and kind of getting a check on kind of like your own, you know, mental mental state, emotional health, et cetera, has been a mm -hmm. very important thing to me because kind of, you know, in the midst of the initial issues that I was having with Scarf, um, I was getting like so anxious about just the whole strategy and just about the whole thing. Like, am I even cut out to be doing this? Um, and so it got it got bad enough to the point where like I actually just started seeing a therapist about it. And like, that is something that has actually helped me so much with this um, because I think that you're being an entrepreneur is so hard that if you are also, if your own like, you know, personal anxieties, um, you know, own mental health is like also going to be a is also very much a factor if how, you know, with how persistent you are and how much grit you have and bring to the, bring to the project. Um, and getting a grip on kind of your own emotional response to this is really, really key to, you know, being persistent on your project. Um, so like f for me, going to therapy and just kind of like talking about this stuff with someone and like, you know, constantly kind of checking in with how I'm feeling about all this stuff has actually been really, really important to being persistent about this and separating you know, what, what am I just anxious about generally versus like what difficulties is the company concretely having? And those are different, but very, very related. And having a grip on that is really, really important to any founder, especially if you're a solo founder. Um, I was a solo founder this whole, like up until the beginning of this year when I brought on two really great partners for the project. But even up until then, doing it alone was really, really hard. And not having someone to like talk to about, um, you know, what I was going through was an issue, I think. And I'm really lucky and glad that I did something about that because it's definitely made the rest of just like my life as an entrepreneur uh, more enjoyable. And yeah, <laughs> and that's kind of what it's all about. Yeah. So yeah, absolutely. I, I love that. And like, 
100% agree. That was a huge differential for me, um, seeing a therapist and really getting to understand that difference of what is my personal anxiety and what am I projecting onto the company versus what am I actually navigating <laughs> through. Yeah, yeah. Um, and even as uh, Myrna knows my co-founder, Parm, and he's the most incredible and supportive co-founder that I, I don't even think I could have imagined someone like him in terms of the supportive dynamic that we have. Uh, but even with that, having that external third party to help you navigate that boundary line between um, the the business stress and the personal stress, which of course are very much integrated as a founder, it is so valuable. I, I love that endorsement. Yeah. And one of the things actually, Kennedy, that uh, you had said in like one of the very first times we've talked, um, and it's stuck with me to this day, um, is the growth of the company is directly correlated to the emotional growth of the founder. And um, I couldn't agree more. I think that um, that that was something that I was when you said that I was like I was like wow like I've I've got a lot to kind of think about there and that that couldn't be more true I think for a lot of people building things uh, their customers only you know you only see the product you only see something that you're either gonna yeah I love it I'm gonna use it or not uh, but for from the founder perspective it's it's a very uh, it's a very different journey and a lot of it's really emotional. Um, so yeah, this is, thank you for sharing this with us, Evie. That was, that was really powerful. Yeah, no, happy to. Um, yeah, hopefully there's others in that same situation. And I think that, um, like it could benefit like that, that kind of approach I think would benefit a lot of people. Um, cause it definitely helped me. So. Totally. Yeah. It's a shame we call them soft skills. I think that they actually are the skills that have the greatest impact on success. If you, if you take people of, of comparable skill sets, um, technical skills rather, uh, I, I think that their, their emotional skills are by far what determines progress over time. This, this was amazing. I think, um, we're at a really great place to end. Um, I, uh, don't tell anyone I said this, but this is definitely one of my favorite episodes. <laughs> I'll have to cut this out of the recording, but <laughs> I'm making you leave it. I'm making you leave it. <laughs> Thank you so much, Avi. That was that was awesome. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. This was fun. Yeah, talk to you totally. soon, Avi. Bye. All right, bye.